Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. The title of the message tonight was Jesus Christ and Him Crucified. And she gave me a little extra time, we'll read the whole chapter. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech, my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How be it? We speak wisdom among you that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that cometh not, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's unite together in prayer. Lord God, our hearts are heavy tonight because of the tragedy of one of our number in losing a loved one. Our hearts are heavy tonight because of the burdens that some of us carry for others who have been abused and misused. Our hearts are heavy because there are people in our community and of our loved ones that are not ready for your coming, who have not acknowledged your 
great gift on the cross of Calvary. But Lord, in the midst of our heaviness, our hearts are light because we have felt you here tonight. We've seen your demonstration of love and devotion that we have for you as our young people have led us in worship. We thank you for each of them who have the desire to stand before us and read your word, pray, play the piano, sing, and by their very presence testify that they love Jesus. But we know now that there is a future indeed for this and every church in our land. It's your promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against us is indeed true when we see it evidenced here in our own church. Take us now into your care and bless the word that shall be preached. The word that we have read, and may it take root in our hearts. Lord, if there is a need tonight in this congregation for someone to be saved, for someone to rededicate to life, for a burden to be shared with you, May this be the time that it will come about to pray through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. I suppose you have recognized that a lot of television preachers have a theme. And it varies a lot. I know that Robert Schuller one of, the, one of the television preachers that I admire, many I don't, but one of the few that I do, being in that group would be Charles Stanley and, of course, Billy Graham. I think probably James Kennedy would rate in that group, and there may be some others. Have a basic theme that they follow. Paul has a theme. He gives it to us in the second verse that we read. When he said, I am determined to know any, not to know, I am determined not to know anything among you. Say, Jesus Christ and him crucified. You will follow Paul's teaching and preaching through the letters that he wrote to the early church. You won't discover him talking much about the birth of Christ, nor about his life, nor about what he taught. He doesn't uh, relate many of the miracles nor the parables. But he talks about the crucifixion a good bit. And that's his thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified ought to be our theme that we never get away from. But what do we really mean? What is the picture that he, Paul, is trying to give us? And what do we as a church 
attempt to portray when we talk about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I want to say five things tonight about the crucifixion. You probably will not have heard the crucifixion preached like I'm going to preach it tonight. Number one, the crucifixion gives us the picture of the actual depravity of sin. How actually deprived mankind really is and how we so desperately need to be saved. I think we are appalled at how sick our society is getting. We learn tonight, I learned early this afternoon by Niner and Nancy stopping me on the road, tell me of the tragedy that we learned about Francis' mother being murdered, and another lady whose name I guess we don't know, do we? This is becoming commonplace to the point that it's almost fearful for a person to leave home and go back late at night because we don't know what might face us there. Mass murder is becoming ordinary. Pornographic materials and pornographic movies, even on our television, is becoming the order of the day. And children are being exploited in this type of thing. It is not now uncommon for parents themselves to molest their own children. And it's almost always done by someone who is trusted and well acquainted a family member, or a close friend. It is not uncommon for elderly people to be abused and even locked in rooms and starved to death or beaten by their own children to the point that we are beginning to ask, how is it possible that man can be so brutal? And yet we see this portrayed on television all the time. In a year's time, anybody who watches any amount of television will see several hundred murders. We'll see a number of rapes and beatings and thefts to the point that it seems to be something that we just take for granted. And as we ask the question, how can man be so brutal? How can man stoop so low? Do we not realize that God is asking the same question? How is it possible that this man that I made I'm speaking for God, who made, I made him and her, Adam and Eve, perfect and placed them in a perfect environment, gave them everything that possibly they could want or need, that they would deliberately turn against me, 
And I think he must look down upon this world that we're living in today. And if God cries with tears in his eyes and say, how is it possible that my greatest creation has sunk to such a low state? One of the things that we talked about in the Sunday school class this morning and have for some time with regard now to the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church and the setting in of that seven year period of tribulation and that is the prophecy that man is going to grow worse and worse. Listen, we haven't seen anything yet. We're just beginning to see man go down the tubes. In the lifetime of those of us who are, are adults, we have seen man deteriorate from the place that we wouldn't dare use a bad word in the presence of women to the point that it is commonplace even for our kids to abuse the name of God and use every kind of foul language that's possible. And they don't know any different. We're now bringing into the world a group of children who have heard more language in four or five years than I heard in all my adult life thus far. And we ought to be appalled that man has sunk so low. The only thing that is keeping this world intact at all is the fact that the Holy Spirit is still here. And it's as if Satan is pushing and bulging out in his effort to take over this world totally, which he will for a period of seven years. The only thing that is keeping that from happening is the Holy Spirit is in his way. It's as if a huge dam has been placed in front of the world and God has said, and Satan's behind it, Satan is that huge volume of water, God has said you cannot do your devastation until I allow the dam to break. But there are leaks beginning to work its way through the dam. And we're seeing the beginnings of the end. And the day is going to come when the shout of Christ is going to be heard and the Holy Spirit, who is the dam, is going to be simply pulled out of place and the waters of devastation from Satan are going to rush forth and completely engulf this world. We are beginning to see it come about. I want you young people to understand it is very likely in your lifetime that you will see the second coming of the Lord and the Holy Spirit taken out of the world and this world will be engulfed in the power of Satan. It may very well be in the lifetime of all of us, but I cannot possibly believe on the evidence that we're seeing in this world that there is going to be much standing yet it's got to burst loose. We're seeing too much evidence. The only thing that is keeping Satan 
from running rampant in this world is the fact the Holy Spirit is still on the way and he won't let him unleash his complete and full power. Listen, if there is ever a day in the history of the world that we need salvation, it's got to be today. But we're going from bad to worse very quickly. Unless something is done, the greatest creation that God ever made is going to be destroyed very quickly. And what's that got to say about the crucifixion? You know what caused the crucifixion? I'll tell you what caused it. I caused it. And you caused it. Let's don't blame Adam and Eve all the way back in the Garden of Eden, although they started. We are the the ones that have brought about the necessity for Christ dying. Because unless God intervenes, all mankind will go to hell. And God intervened. And he put up a barrier. It's called the cross. And that barrier says the only way mankind can get into hell is to climb over top the barrier. Climb over the cross. Abuse it. Ignore it. Pay no attention to it. Run helter-skelter straight on into hell. And man is doing that wholesale. And the only thing that's going to keep us or anybody else out of hell is that cross that God has erected. Christ who died upon it. People start yelling, why doesn't somebody do something to stop this rampant rush to destruction? And I think our answer must be, must be somebody has done something. And it was God himself that made a way that we would not destroy ourselves there is a way out. So the first picture we can see of the cross and the crucifixion that took place upon it, we see it compared to the nature of man as we are witnessing in today's society and know that it reveals that man is utterly ugly, sinful, and is bent on self-destruction. The only way that we're going to keep from destroying ourselves is to yield to the crucifixion. Secondly, I think the cross gives us a picture of God's inflexible justice. Now listen to this one. God is not flexible. He does not change. His word does not alter. Whatever he says will indeed come about. Now we talk about God's love a lot. And God's love is important and we need to talk about it. For God does love all mankind. But on the other side of that same coin, if you can take a coin and write the word God loves me on one side 
turn the coin over and see what it says on the other side, and it's going to say God's justice. God's love on one side, God's justice on the other side. God has informed us that he hates sin, and he will destroy sin. Now listen, there is a day coming when there will be no more sin. He is going to utterly destroy it, cast it into the lake of fire, and with that destruction of sin will go every person who has never bowed the knee at the cross of Christ. It will be an utter destruction. God is not going to waver. His wrath will be seen. He has given man plenty of time to repent. Man laughs at God. We live, as I have told you before, in the least church state in the United States, and Boone County is the least church county in West Virginia, in the midst of the least godly people in this country. And the most of our friends and neighbors and relatives and family are going to experience the wrath of God if they don't accept the love of God. That's the inflexibleness of the cross. Thirdly, there's going to be a penalty for sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. Most people don't believe that. I want you to go back to your Bibles, back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3 a minute. I want you to look at something. First book in the Bible. Satan is talking. Satan has taken the body of, of a serpent or a snake and is having a conversation in the Garden of Eden with Eve. Look at verse 1, chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Casting a doubt. Is that really what God said? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. Now listen to the firmness of that statement. God said, Eve is quoting to the serpent, God said, You shall not eat of that tree, you shall not touch that tree, and if you do, you're going to die. Do you realize that God did not put man on earth to die? Had there been no sin on earth, everybody would still be living? Sin brought death. All right. Verse 4, the response of Satan through the serpent. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. 
God is trying to fool you. He has told you something that won't come about. Well, we know through history that in fact God was right. Death did come as a result of their disobedience to God. Man has died and will continue to die as a result of his disobedience. History has proven that out. So who's right? Satan or God? It's quite obvious that Satan was wrong. But Satan has been convincing people from that day on that he's right and God's wrong. It doesn't take too much to convince us to do wrong. It takes a whole lot to convince us to do wrong. If somebody suggests let's sin, boy, we're jumping up and ready to go. Let's do it. Oh, well, now that's not too bad. We can go ahead and do that. But if somebody says, let's do right, we have to argue an awful long time to get people to agree that right is, is, is a good thing to do. Because Satan is very convincing. Now listen to the penalty. The penalty is what? It's death. When Jesus was on the cross, he said seven things. One of those things that he said were these words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Maybe it never dawned on you before, particularly you young people, but when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die with God supporting him. He died alone, independent of God. God literally turned his back on Jesus and let him die. Alone. And even though Jesus was the Son of God, he was still human enough that he could not, in his, even in his mind, comprehend why it was that his own father had turned his back on his own son. But that's the penalty of sin. That's the penalty. The penalty is total separation from God. Forever and ever. If you are not a Christian and you die, your penalty is not so much that you're going to suffer in hell. The penalty, even more severe than that, is you're going to be absolutely separated from God forever. You know, I have had people tell me, well, I may go to hell, but I'm going to have a whole lot of company down there. That's a big lie. You're going to be all alone. Totally. No communication with anybody. Never again to talk to a single person. Forever. You see, hell is the opposite of heaven. Heaven is a place of communication, of fellowship, of love, of touching and hugging and being together. Hell is the absolute opposite. No comfort from anybody. 
no support, no conversation, nothing but absolute loneliness forever. And then to suffer on top of that, never to call on the name of God again. Never. Because God will not be heard by people in hell. That's the penalty. So the cross ought to remind us that there is a penalty for ignoring and denying that which was done upon it. Fourthly, the cross reveals the value of man to God. The cross tells us what God thinks about you and me. How much he thinks of us. What we're worth. If somebody asks you what are you worth, what would you do? Probably the first thing that goes through your mind, well, let's see. I own uh, some house, property, that's worth 50000 i got uh, a few thousand in the bank. Uh, I've got a life insurance policy worth so much, and my automobile's worth this, and my furniture. And you start adding all that up, but I'm worth so much. No, you're not. You know what man thinks you're worth? Nothing. Do you realize that you're absolutely and completely and totally dispensable? When we go to war, how much is a soldier worth? They calculate the costs of going to war, and so many people are going to lose their lives for the cause, but the individual is only worth what he can contribute to winning the battle. And if it costs his life, that's fine. That's that's necessary. People are born, people live, and people die, and people are forgotten. It won't be long after I die that my name won't mean much. But my children pass on. My grandchildren remember me once in a while, and when they're gone, that's about the end of it. Unless I happen to know my great-grandchildren, which I probably will never, and you the same. We're a name on a tombstone in the cemetery that doesn't mean too much to anybody. And although we have studied American history all of our lives, it would, we would be hard-pressed to name very many of our presidents who have served our country well because they're just simply forgotten figures in the passing of time. We're not worth much. Chemically, I am told that at one time we were worth 98 cents. If we could take all the minerals in our body and, and utilize them, that's about the market value. I don't know what it is today. Inflation probably makes us worth a dollar and a quarter. That's about all. But what are we worth to God? The cross tells us what we're worth to Him. We're worth so much to God that He was willing to pay with the life of his own son to get us back from Satan. To have, take to heaven, to enjoy our company forever. God wants us with him so much that he would give everything that is necessary to gain us. And we see that demonstrated when he paid the supreme price on the cross. Fifthly, God 
loves us supremely, and that we ought to recognize from the cross. The cross reveals how much God really loves us. We go around telling everybody we love each other, and uh, you teenagers, we always remember how it's done. We would say to that person, you know, we're dating and falling in love with, I really, 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 really love you. There was a little letter that a young fellow wrote to his girlfriend, and he was telling how much he loved her. And then at the bottom of the letter, he said, P.S., I'll be over to see you Saturday night if it doesn't rain. How much do we really love each other? Do you really love your husband and your wife? Really? Do you really love your children? Do you really love your neighbor? Do we really love each other? Really? When you say to me, I love you, do you really? And when I say to you, I love you, do I really? To what degree does that love go? Does that love go far enough that I would lay down my life for you that you might live? And do you love me enough that you'd lay your life down for me? You would give yours in exchange that I might live? Would you even do that for your husband or for your child? Would you kids do that for your mom and dad? Would you go to the gallows if it meant saving your father? Maybe. And I suppose we would never know that until we came to the point of the test. We've seen some demonstrations like that. And I'll never forget watching a television newsreel of that airplane that crashed in the Potomac River in Washington that winter night a few years ago, and watching that one man who kept putting somebody else on the lift take them out that he was finally too cold to get on the lift when it came his turn and he had sunk beneath the waters. That very well is a demonstration of the love that one person will give his life for another. But listen, John 3.16, and we all know, says that God so loved the whole world, every person, every individual. You know, I might die for my children, and I believe I can stand here in front of you and say that I'd give my life for my kids, for my wife, for my mother and dad. I might do it for my brothers and sisters. For my sister, I only have one. But beyond that, you're going to be putting me right to the wall to tell or make me tell you whether I would or not. And that ugly despicable murderer, rapist that's out there somewhere. Do you think I'd die for them? You bet I won't. I'm not going to the gallows for that rapist, that murderer. I'm not going to the electric chair for them. Let them pay their own bill. That's what I would say as a person about their life. But listen, God so loved the world that he gave his only son for every one of those people. Not just the good and the moral and the upright, 
but for the despicable, the ugly, the ungodly, the worst sinner in all the world. He died for that person as well. That's what the cross tells us. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He didn't have to. He did it because He loved us. And Jesus said of Himself, Greater love has no man than this. No greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. And He turns to His disciples and said, You're my friends. He turned to me and He said, You're my friends. He turned to me and said, you're my friend, and I give my life for you. That's what the cross says. Have you responded to that love? Or have you ignored it? Perhaps evaded it? Or maybe you have outrightly rejected it? still died for you because he loves you. And that's what the cross tells us. The Son of God gave up everything that heaven had to offer and he came a poor man on earth and died because he wanted me to live he wanted you to live. If you're not a Christian tonight, he died for you as well. You ought to accept him as your Savior so that his death will not be in vain. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.